The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. A frank, honest, open conversation about gambling addiction as uh, the legalized gambling world Grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Shows like this are uh, more important every single day because so many people will gamble for the first time. And of those people, percentage will certainly present with problems. Dan Trelaro and I from Epic Risk Management hope to share our stories and other compulsive gambler stories just to give you a sense of what could happen. Doesn't mean it will, but give you a sense of what could happen. And as always, Dan joins us this morning. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great. Uh, also happy to have from Connecticut, uh, Brian on the line. Brian is also a compulsive gambler. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Doing great. Good. Doing I great. really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, just so we have an uh, idea of where you are in your recovery. When was your last wager? Um, November 27th, 2016. Just celebrated five years oh congratulations that's awesome good for you proud of you all right so let's get let's get into your story so people can understand the the humanality of it uh how old were you when you first started gambling my earliest gambling memories are probably third and fourth grade um like running home during march madness and just really enjoying it and 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 enjoying the you know, the piece of it that was out, it was outside of myself. I was a small, you know, a kid from Dalton, Massachusetts and the Berkshires. And just even before gambling, I think getting outside of myself via sport, um, you know, was really my first, you know, so third, fourth grade, there was already gambling going on. Uh, older brother, dad, did you see it from somewhere else that uh, a buddy of yours uh, first bring you into it or you just kind of discovered it organically? I definitely discovered it organically. I didn't have it in the family. Um, you know, I often tell a story, like I said, Christmas morning, seven, eight years old on the right is a Christmas tree. And on the left is like Stuart Scott and, and sports center. And I go left because I, I, I was, I was infatuated by sport. I was, huh. you know, so even before the gambling was a solution, I would say that, um, just, just watching and getting outside of myself that way was, was, all right. what I enjoy. So, know? like a lot of us, you were sports nut as a kid, uh, and you found wagering at third or fourth grade. When you look back on your life, how old were you when gambling became a regular part of your life? Was it right away when, you know, nine, ten years old, or was it after that? Um, I remember in, in middle school um, betting with friends, and kind of like a, a gambling ring. I remember, you know, like this, I, I I really liked Kansas over Syracuse in that in that national championship <laughs> game, and I was wrong about that. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, I would say pretty. It was my identity, right? I, I I enjoyed the ability to talk about it and, and be validated that way um, by the knowledge of it, my opinions, and um, not in the level of, of you, but uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that. But yeah, I would say it would start. And by high school, I was running a running a book, um, taking action. So, so pretty early on in my life, it was a, it was a big piece of my life. Yeah, Dan, we hear that a lot uh, from guys uh, over the last year, where 
the, there was a cool factor to it, whether it's guys who learned how to gamble or new gambling terminology from an older relative or kids who just you know fell into it like Brian did. It set them apart. It made them special. It became their thing, like their calling card. Oh, Brian's the guy you go to you know, for sports information. And ultimately, you know, other kids that want to wager, he's the go-to guy. So there's a cool factor for younger men for sure, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's all about almost like that, that bragging ego, right? Oh, I know somebody. He'll take good care of you. We always like to know somebody. In life, you know, when I, when I can say, hey, Craig, listen, I want to help you out. I know somebody. Use my guy. And whatever it is. It could be a jeweler. It could be a restaurant. You know, because then it makes you feel good. Hey, hey, I just helped you out, right? You were in a jam. You had a question. I was able to solve the immediate need and the problem and provide you that peace of mind. And when we talk about the gambling world, we see it reinforced on the marketing, on the commercials. You know, you and I talk about what is being portrayed is that some of these uh, younger folks that are starting to expose themselves to gambling for the first time, they're not seeing it as gambling. They're seeing it as social interaction. They're seeing it as a fun time with friends. And they're seeing it at times as risk-free. And these are all just really rough messages to kind of start seeing at an early age because you don't really understand gambling for what it really is. You can lose money and you can get bad really fast for some people. When did it get bad for you, Brian? Um, in college, I definitely was exposed to more and more people that, you know, like you guys talked about and then the connections, there was more connections, um, down in, uh, you know, Fairfield County, I was exposed to more, you know, Long Island, North Jersey, you know, that type of, that type of individual. So, it got bad then, um, and it was always something that my, my family kept under the radar. You know, I would have to get constantly bailed out, and I just didn't I, – I, I wasn't – I like I said, to, to repeat myself, it was such a part of my identity that I, I never was able to present at that time how bad it was. And so let, let me stop you there for a second. Yeah. So you're you're wagering now more money than you can afford to lose. Uh, so on multiple occasions, you go to family members to bail you out financially, right? Absolutely. And yeah. the more you're doing it, although it's part of your identity, you recognize now, looking back on it, that you are now associating with, for lack of a better term, bad people, right? Yeah, I mean, it was in the college community. It was. It wasn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even want to label them as bad. I would just say, um, yeah. But I mean, you know, studying for a test, and all of a sudden the guy's going to show up at the dorm room, and you know, he wants his he wants his couple thousand dollars that I don't have to have, and it, it translated into more risky behavior, right? Like, right. Uh, you know, drug dealing and 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 other things like that. Um, and that was. Yeah, that's what, at the point of my life, looking back, that I would say it became a little bit unmanageable. So at what point did your family say, hey, Brian, let's sit down and talk. You know, we've bailed you out once, twice, three, four times. Clearly, you're doing something that you can't handle. When did, did that happen at some point along the way? Yeah, I think I think early on, like I said, I would I would I would go to mom or I'd go to dad um, and then I would I would. I would I would feel guilt and shame about doing that again. So I would I would make money in other ways, or I would I would borrow from from people, and and that affected interpersonal relationships and friendships, and right. um, see a lot of that at the collegiate level right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I would always mask it to to really answer your question. I would always mask it in like, you know, I just don't I don't feel great about myself. I 
you know, I'm struggling in this area. So, you know, I, I used, I, I would minimize the gambling piece and, you know, present it in other things that I went through in my life, if that makes sense. No, I, I get it completely. That's what we do, right? We, uh, first off, we become world-class liars. And then yep. you become a world-class manipulator because of the, you have yep. an end goal. Every one of those conversations you had with people that love you the most, you're not being real with them. They're being real with you because they want to help you. They love you. But you're presenting it in a manner to manipulate them to get what you want, which is a calling card of what we all do, Dan. Yeah, and that's you know when we talk about that, one thing I hear Brian continue to say is identity. You know, I, I, I keep hearing that because people gamble for different reasons. People look at gambling as the solution to their problems and different types of problems. And one of the areas, sometimes it's not even considered a problem at an early age. It's who am I? You know, that's a, that's a question that we all ask at some point in our lives. Who am I? And it's not an easy question to answer. Sure. And if all of a sudden we see gambling as that solution, it makes us feel good. It, we're exposed to it at an early age, not in a negative way, but it kind of gives us that, that comfort, that 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 good feeling, that thing that says, yeah, I can identify with this because it's sport. I love sports. What's the harm? So it's really, as an identity, it's really fascinating. And, you know, people fall into that trap. And then over time, when we start having more access to whether it's money or friends or availability, all of a sudden that becomes our way to escape problems that come up in life. And we keep turning back to the gambling. So, Brian, what was your uh, your bottom of the barrel moment? Because I, I see it's going in that direction. You know, you can't pay, you know, bets that you lose or that other people are making. You're going down a bad road with drugs or as far as dealing them to try to make money. What was the the drop dead? Oh my God, moment. Um, I mean, the first one it wasn't it wasn't right away. The first one was a couple years out of college. I um. I was betting a big, for me, big amounts, you know, thousands of dollars a game. Um, and I went on this, you know, $70,000, $80,000 gambling run. So I had $70,000, $80,000 in the shoebox, and that perpetuated, you know, I'm also sober uh, and um, from drugs and alcohol. And I, it, that money, that accessibility to money, uh, sped up the progression when it comes to the substance use, right? So sure. I... My first moment of surrender was walking into a detox in uh, 2015, right after a Packers-Lions game where I ended on a Hail Mary. And the guy asked me, you know, I'm sitting in a detox, and the guy asked me, why are you here? And I go, did you see the end of the Packers-Lions game? So, I mean, that's where I was at, right? Like, I, it, was, it was almost getting honest, you know, not preventive, preventive honesty, but – getting honest because I was, I was, I was in a jam. So I blew through all that money and then I had just borrowed a large amount of money from my dad. And then I was in the hole again and I really went to treatment for the first time for substance um, because I didn't have accessibility to treatment for gambling, even though that was probably, that was the beginning, right? I, I started gambling before I picked up a drink or a drug and I, I walked in there because that kind of showed its ugly head first. And, but I wasn't, I, even at that time, I wasn't fully ready to give in to all of it. So here I am, I walk into my first treatment center, and that was um, my first really go around too. But I would say, I would say the, the bigger piece of my real bottom was about a year and a half later, um, where similar to you, Craig, like, I go to another treatment center. I want to go back to uh, a place here in Connecticut, Mountainside, and um, 
great facility. And, you know, I'm like, uh, a therapist says you should go to Williamsville Wellness in Virginia, um, which is gambling, drugs, right. and alcohol. And, and you know, the moment I was, I was afraid to take my own life at that point. I was, I was living in seventh Avenue and park slope. And I was, I was afraid to, I was afraid to walk outside because I might do something really dumb. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear what happens next with uh, Brian, Dan Chalau, Epigris Management's on as well. And our thanks to the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling for sponsoring this show. If you or loved one has a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelauer, of course, with us, and Brian from Connecticut. Brian, when we took the break there, you were talking about, you know, where you were in life, uh, afraid to go outside because you might do something bad or you might do something to harm yourself. Walk us through what happens. Yeah, so I had gone to... You know, I was going to a little bit of you know twelve steps, both both for substances and and gambling. But I was I was in and out for about a year and a half, and um, I was I was truly afraid. I might have used that before, but I had never actually thought about that action. Right? I never I would use it as you said earlier to manipulate. Right? And um, I didn't trust myself, and I I told my mom and. Uh, I said, I want to go back to the mountainside. I'll give it one more shot. I was like, you know, come down here. She was finally getting educated to say, you know, let them fail. Let them fall. Let them go through it. Unfortunately, like what, you know, real, real hard boundary that she said saved my life. And, um, you know, same with my, same with my father. And, uh, and I wanted to go back to this first place I went to in Connecticut. And, uh, and she goes, you don't get it. You're still making your own decision. And for whatever reason, at that moment, I surrendered to a process that wasn't my own. And I, I went into a detox facility. I then went to, I went, I then went to Virginia. Um, and I, I, I stopped even when asking for help, I was asking for help under my own conditions and my own management. Right. So it's like, I'll go here, but I want to go here after, you know, I wasn't surrendering. So that was, that was really the moment. I was I was scared that I would actually, you know, I don't know how close I was, but it, I was I was in real. I, I couldn't walk outside the apartment. You so know, you was, so you got to a place after kind of uh, talking about it for sympathy and to get you know what you needed in the moment from family members. You got to a place where it was a tangible feeling, not that you planned what you might do or that you contemplated exactly how you might do it. But you felt it in your soul that if you walked outside, you might do something to hurt yourself. Like that was a real feeling to you. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that was the moment that you then called your mom or your family and said, hey, I'm not BSing you this time. This is real. I've never felt like this before. I'm willing to go do whatever it takes to get help on their terms, not my terms. Correct. And was that immediately liberating? Or was that still a process for you to come all the way to that decision where, you know, hey, listen, I got to give, I got to give up and let other people walk me through this. Cause, and I say that because for me, you know, I went to rehab for the wrong reasons, but I found this amazing moment in my life while I was there, which was meeting other people 
who knew exactly how I felt, processed gambling the way I processed it. I didn't have a substance uh, problem or an alcohol problem. Mine was straight gambling. But even though I went for the wrong reason, I'll tell you that going to the place I went to out in Prescott, Arizona, a place called Algamas, ultimately, A, saved my life, and B, gave me the tools to figure out what was really bothering me at my core. And without having gone to that, uh, I don't know that if, that I'd be sitting here today, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think the moment helped, but that I, 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 you know, two weeks into Virginia, I want to say I want to come back to Brooklyn, and you know, I know some people in the rooms there, right. and I had to surrender again, I, and I had to surrender again and and, and let go. Um, you know, I know it's a sports station. A guy used to tell me it's like you're the star player, the GM in the. Uh, of your life and you haven't won a game. No one's been to a game of yours. And that was like easy for me to understand. And it was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give up all decision-making. So from there, met a lot of other problem gamblers, um, and then moved to, uh, moved to Florida, West Palm beach. Great. Uh, and do you live in Florida still? Or are you back home uh, in New York or there, or in the Northeast area now? Uh, I'm now in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, where I um, so down in Florida. I got into running um, sober houses, and uh, in 2018, was was blessed with the opportunity to come to Fairfield U, um, the oldest collegiate recovery program in in uh, New England. Um, so I, I do a lot of work within the space of uh, addiction. Yeah, so, so I, I live in Fairfield, Connecticut. You're a young guy, which so I'm really glad to have you on the show. Walk people through, I say this all the time, Dan and I talk about it all the time, there are kids out there, young adults, younger than you, maybe your age, who are at, you know, day one, step one, who haven't yet come to the realization uh, that they need to, you know, give themselves over to the process, that, you know, they're not going to be able to do it on their own, or, hey, their walls are caving in. Walk people through how good life is now, five years sober, five years without making a bet, that your life, where it is today in comparison to where it was five years ago when you did take that first step? I mean, everything has changed. Uh, Interpersonal relationships, um, real purpose in my life. Um, You know, I wake up, I feel like I have one of the, you know, coolest jobs in the country. I I get to watch guys navigate collegiate life um, in recovery. And, um, you know, guys in their fourth, fifth, sixth university, you know, finally get that diploma because they face the same thing that, you know, all three of us have faced. Um, I, I, I live a life beyond my wildest dreams that might not be external validation that I used to be uh, obsessed with money, cars, you know, that life. But it's uh, it's a real life of purpose. I, I'd also tell them that they're not alone. I, I would say, you know, I talked to Dan about this. You know, when I was when I was an undergraduate student not that long ago, graduating in 2013, um, you know, you find like-minded people, right? I mean, whether it's whether it's gambling or drugs and alcohol, there's probably 10 guys on campus that really knew the language that you talked about earlier, Craig. Um, I would say, you know, I, I try to, you know, I break my foot, you know, broke my foot last year, but I still try to play some hoop with these kids over at Fairfield View. And, and, and they just, and I'm not saying they're all problem gamblers, not, not whatsoever, you know. Um, the language is so much more developed in a very short amount of time. You know, people... You know, because of the media, because of the uh, legalization, they it's so much. Everybody knows the line tonight. Everybody knows, you know, Connecticut just passed. You know, they know where right. to find action. And I just say that, um, 
you know, reach out. And, and it's like shows like this that you're actually talking about it publicly. Like we've needed, we've needed somebody like you and Dan to really, um, you know, there's plenty of that in the, in the, in the substance use world. And, uh, you know, but yeah, just that you're not alone. And, and also to the families, right. Um, you know, my family, my family getting more open to talk about it, you know, addiction wants us alone. They want us to think we're the only ones going through it, whether that's for the individual struggling or the family struggling. And and if you're a family dealing with a son or daughter that's gambling, you know, you got to talk about it. You're not, you're not alone. And actually the way that you're going to handle moving forward could speed up that bottom that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that message. If I can ever return the favor, uh, count me in. Just reach out. I'd be happy to do it. I hope you have a great uh, December and New Year. And uh, keep on keeping on, man. Stories like yours are important to be told. And I appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate Thanks. it. Big fan. Great. Dan, before we let you go, uh, you know, hearing a young person like him means the world to me because – that's the largest group of people that are going to be immediately affected by uh, gambling addiction. Young men, guys in their young 20s, guys in college or just out of college who have their first taste of, of earning. So they do have money uh, in their pocket. And to hear a guy like Brian be so real about it, I think those are the guys uh, that really are going to make the biggest difference going forward. Yeah, I agree. And Craig, you know, you and I this past week, you know, we had an event that we were kind of both a part of. And I think what we're seeing is this growing appetite to further the conversation about not just responsible gambling, but also problem gambling. What does it look like? You know, what, what, what is the continuum in which it exists? And how do we start, to Brian's point, having people become vulnerable enough to just surrender? You know, that's the word today that I heard that I'm really, really thinking about is surrender. Because like Brian, you know, like you, I wanted to do recovery on my own terms. I wanted to control and dictate. I went down to Keystone Center in PA. I was there for one day, and the director looked at me and says, we don't know what to do with a gambler. You're not even in the right spot here. We only do drugs and alcohol. And I look back at that time in 2010, and I say, wow, how far have we come? But also, how much further do we still need to go? We're just scratching the surface. So it's availability, accessibility. Our young people are trying this thing out for the first time, some of whom may never have gambled until later on in life. So what are we doing today to help reduce and minimize problems tomorrow? Yeah, well, listen, hopefully we'll be a part of that solution. You know, that's what our lives, you know, in addition to uh, earning a living doing radio show and you, of course, traveling the country on behalf of Epic, the hope is that we can find a way to uh, provide resources. Because to me, the biggest issue we have is not so much that there's a lack of resources because I do recognize there are more and more resources every day now on a state-by-state basis, but it's the fact that we don't know how to make sure that the gambler knows those resources exist. Uh, you know, I fantasize all the time about you know opening up some amazing you know gambling rehab center because of what it did for me. Uh, you know, and then we're hearing Brian go to a place in Virginia and what it did for him. So I do think that's on the horizon. I certainly hope to be a part of that moving forward, as I know you do. And I think symposiums like the one you and I just participated in uh, that was uh, brought together by Epic Risk Management is important because even the operators, while they are sensitive to the reality that gambling addiction is a real addiction, much like alcohol, much like drug addiction, 
that they don't know a lot about it because nobody knows a lot about it. I don't blame the operators for being in the dark about it because no one's ever talked about gambling addiction the way we do on this show on a 50,000-watt AM and an FM signal that reaches you know millions and millions of people. So I do yeah. think the more mainstream gambling gets, the more mainstream addiction talk will get, and the more people ultimately we will be able to help. And I'm really proud to be a part of that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I think about the uh, the 12-step recovery programs, and I, and I think about a key word in those programs, and it's called willingness, right? You have to have a willingness to want to stop, a desire. And as long as we're seeing the operators, the payment processors, all the, the entire ecosystem of the gambling world, as long as there's a willingness and a desire to continue to learn, because I agree with you, you, you can't know what you don't learn. And so we, we have to quickly, and I think we are as quickly as possible, bringing them up to speed. And as long as they have a willingness, an appetite, and a hunger to help make a difference. And we know some operators are better than others, and we know some will give lip service, and, and some will just do the bare minimum. And we understand all of that. But something that you say, and I, and I agree with you 100%, is that if we get one on board, we need everyone on board. Because, as you've mentioned, if, if I'm going to be shut out by one operator, I'm just going to go find another operator. Yep, so we got to always get everyone on the same page. Well, always good having you on the show, Dan, as we move uh, closer to the end of the year. Appreciate you being in my life and being a part of this show. Again, 1-800-GAMBLER is a fantastic resource, and we appreciate their sponsorship. Dan, we'll do it again next week. Thanks so much, pal. Sounds great, Craig. Have a great week. All right. Kim Jones is next, and then Evan and I are back Monday at 2 o'clock. That's 2 o'clock right here on The Fan.